This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Twilight Show. Today I'm joined by Alicia Isabel Lara Espinosa, who is a teacher based in Lima, Peru. Alicia is a teacherpreneur, which is definitely something I want to talk to her about. Her special interest is motivating students in and outside of the classroom. So we'll be talking about that too, and much more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Twilight Show. My guest today is Alicia Isabel Lara Espinosa. Alicia, you're from Peru. Yeah, in Lima, Lima, Peru. Yeah. yeah, something that I always feel grateful for is this friendship I had with Leo Marin. Leo Marin yeah. was the former IATF Pro president. And for me, it was such an honor to be invited and participate in that 2011 annual conference. Wow. That is the year when you came here to Peru, along with some other um, very nice and, and committed people. And well, it was an extraordinary opportunity for me to meet you all. And it's been a while since I haven't talked with you. That's right. In fact, um, one of the ways I choose my guests is if I see people pop up liking my post about the radio show, then I think, oh, it would be very interesting to <laughs> talk, uh, to reconnect. I mean, the, one of the big main reasons I do this is have the opportunity to talk to people that I know or people I don't know about education uh, for an extended time. And so it was, it was great. So I thought it would be really good to, to catch up with you and find out what was happening, what's changed in your life since we met. Well, in 2011. Yeah, and so in fact, me... it, it was very yeah. nice for me to hear about you and I say, okay, let's do this, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So let me try to salvage my notes and hopefully I have the correct information, but correct me if I'm wrong, Alicia. So besides being a teacher, you are a business management graduate that holds a degree in education, a master's degree in educational management, and a diploma course in teaching Spanish to speakers of other languages. Languages, And above all, you describe yourself as a long, lifelong learner. Is that correct? Of course, that is, especially the DND line. I'm a lifelong learner. Fantastic. And you've worked as a teacher for language centers in Peru, bilingual schools, universities. You're, as you mentioned, a former pioneer board member of ITEFL Peru the International Association for Teachers of English as a Foreign Language, based in the UK, um, but the Peru section of that. And you have been a consultant of English departments at private schools and language training institutions and internationally popular publishers. You're also general director of BASES. Is that how you pronounce it? Languages and training? Even when, passes. let's say, the last name is Languages and Training, I prefer to pronounce it as buses. Buses, okay. Mm -hmm. Great. 
which is a company that is committed to education, innovation, ELT, and its continuous improvement. And your principal area of interest, which I'm definitely, I definitely want to talk to you today about, is increasing student motivation in the classroom, inside and outside. But I will also love to hear your um, about your journey in moving from being a teacher to do, being a teacherpreneur, as you like to say, which uh, is a really interesting concept. So welcome, Alicia. And what we're going to do first, though, is I'm going to play the Teachers Talk Radio News, which will take about six minutes or so, and then afterwards we can continue talking. Okay. Okay. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. RAC remains the top education story across many media outlets, with the BBC focusing on the impact the issue is having on universities across the UK. The news website refers to closures of lecture theatres, science labs and student unions. So far, 14 universities have told the BBC that they have closed or partially closed areas containing the reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Some lectures have had to be relocated and a small number of universities have had to find alternative accommodation for students, as halls of residence have also been affected. This has placed additional pressures on universities already facing housing shortages with charity Unipol suggesting that student housing shortages are going to get worse in some cities. Student numbers are growing, but the number of new rooms is tumbling. This is largely due to high building costs, older buildings falling into disrepair, and now rack concerns are adding to the issue. Last week, the DfE published the list of 147 schools in England built using the concrete. Six unions have now written to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan asking a series of urgent questions. The BBC says that Essex is the county in England with the most affected schools, with 25 closed, partly closed or making alternative arrangements. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has dismissed suggestions that he was at fault for the concrete crisis. During Prime Minister's question time, he said his government had acted decisively whilst opposition leader Sakia Starmer referred to him as Captain Hindsight. In Wales, only two schools have so far been affected by RAC, but First Minister Mark Drakeford said inspections were ongoing. In Scotland, Humza Youssef has outlined his plans for the coming year, with a heavy focus on expanding childcare provision, saying it is the best way to support families. This plan includes the recruitment of a 1,000 more childminders by 2026. Free childcare hours are being extended to two-year-olds across the country. There will be a pilot of expanded care from nine months to the end of primary in six local authority areas and free school meals for P6 and P7 pupils moves forward. But those in receipt of the Scottish Child Payment will receive them first by 2024, with others following by 2026. Last week, Mr Yusuf also commented on the issue of banning single-use vapes and link this to the comments made about young people using vapes too often. He stated that the government will consult on curbing the sale of disposable single-use vapes, including consulting on an outright ban. 
to The Guardian, South Korean teachers have staged walkouts over harassment by parents and students. Thousands of staff attended a rally in Seoul demanding better protection after a number of teacher suicides. Teachers are being increasingly vocal about their experiences of maltreatment, including being accused of child abuse after disciplining students. Around 15,000 teachers attended a rally last week and some schools had to temporarily close due to a lack of staff. As of June 2023, 100 school teachers had died by suicide in the country since 2018. The current education ministry blamed the current situation on previous governments, saying that they had overemphasised students' human rights over teachers' rights. Finally, The Guardian also reports that a city in Japan is tackling a rise in truancy with the help of robots. Two schools in Kumamoto have purchased mechanical assistance to help children regain confidence in dealing with teachers and their peers. It is hoped the robots will encourage children to attend classes remotely and eventually coax them back in person. The robots will be equipped with microphones, speakers and cameras. Students learning remotely will be connected to the robots via laptops, allowing them to attend and take part in discussions. The robots will not be confined to classrooms, but be free to roam so pupils can take part in other events and enjoy social times remotely too. Japan, like many countries, including the UK, is facing a rise in the number of pupils refusing to go to school since the pandemic. Could robots be the key to improvement? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we've all returned to work and I'm going to discuss the old argument of digital or paper diary. For every argument for going digital, there's a counter argument for not and vice versa. You can access a digital diary from anywhere on any device, but if you don't have a signal, it's useless. A paper diary can't get hacked, but it can be picked up and read if left lying around. You get the point. I personally like a digital diary as it suits the way I work. I can add links to online meetings, add notes and attach documents. I can see my day, week, month, year at the click of a button. And the most useful thing for me is I get reminder notifications. One thing to consider if moving digital this year is policies on phones in your school, as this is the most likely way you'll access it on the move. And probably most importantly, if you're using your phone, Will you be able to resist the notifications from other apps or emails you see when you switch it on to use it? Cost doesn't really apply as a factor because you probably already have a phone capable of running a digital diary. But work-life balance may need to be considered as the diary is 24-7. This can, however, be remedied by using Do Not Disturb settings for notifications. In the end, it's a personal choice. Are you paper or digital? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome in particular to my special guest, Alicia Isabel Lara Espinosa. How are you today, Alicia? Very excited about having the chance to chat with you again. I'm not just with you, but with everyone who is able to listen to us and basically to share different ideas about the fascinating teaching world. Yes, of course. Fantastic. Now, I have been very busy today already. It's only 10 o'clock in the morning 
more or less in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 11 your time, is that right? Yeah, 11.30, 11. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've already done a workshop. Um, I've been studying to take a qualification on teacher education. And this morning I had a final workshop that was um, that is going to be assessed. So I've been very nervous, but I'm glad it's over. It went well. What about you? What have you been up to today? I had an early morning class. You had an early morning class, um, wow. There's a group of students. Yeah, that's an early morning class. Uh, on a Saturday, <laughs> that's really early. It's just that this yeah. group of people is taking the TOEIC international examination this week. Mm. So they wanted to practice along the weekend. Wow. Um, is that the only class you have this weekend? Or have you got uh, more? Normally on weekends, I just have a couple of classes, uh, these days at least. But today I had this class in the morning. In the afternoon, I will have some other classes, general English and the preparation course, but it's a one-to-one course. And then tomorrow I will also have another class. Even when it's Sunday, um, students want to practice because there is this group of of students having the IELTS or taking the IELTS on Friday. So they want to just have the final mock and, and get some feedback. Well, you're very much in demand. I mean, it's very nice to be so in demand, but do you not take any days off? Yeah, I try to do it. Normally on Sundays, I don't usually work. Um, When it's really necessary, I do it. But I try to take a day off along the week. It doesn't matter if it's on a Monday or maybe a Thursday. thing is Mm -hmm. that... First of all, I want to, or or, sorry, I try to organize everything. I mean, not just the classes that I manage, but also the classes for other teachers. Mm -hmm. I try to make sure that everything is working well. And then when there is the possibility for just an early bird class, let's imagine on Wednesday, then I say, okay, there's no need for me to continue working on this day. So I can take half the day off uh, to rest, to go to a, cafe and and enjoy some me time (laughs) yeah very important to recharge your batteries so you um as well as organizing classes for other teachers you do quite a lot of teaching uh yourself is that right honestly speaking that is something that is very um important for me i mean Later, along the show, I am sure we'll talk about how I started um, Mm. this about a company. But basically, I started in the teaching world also casually. I was studying to become a business manager. Mm -hmm. And in the last year of studies, I had the chance to become a teacher. It was a conversational course. By that time, I could already speak the language. So I said, hey, why not? And it was okay. The thing is that I, I, I liked the experience that much that I said, hey, I can't start thinking about becoming a teacher of English. Why not? It's entertaining. Um, in those days, as I was just mentioning, it was a conversational class. Mm-hmm. So at some point, let's say it was easier. But the thing is that time passed and then 
you discover or get to know about different things that happen in classrooms differently from institute classrooms, differently from school classrooms, and well, you get to learn what the real teaching experience is. And I am mentioning all of this because the day I started my company, I always kept in mind that it was really important that as the promoter, I should be in contact with students in order to know about the possible changes. I mean, mm -hmm. this generation is not the same generation um, you and I maybe mm -hmm. were part of. Um, technology these days is making things crazier. So it is not possible to try to, let's say, observe, supervise, or visit a class, whichever the term you prefer to use is, Mm -hmm. um, if I myself am not aware of the real situation in terms of behavior of students. And mm. then you also have to consider the ages of students. It's not the same managing a class uh, with kindergartners and managing a class with different managers in a company. So the mm. point is that, in my personal opinion, it is very important that we as promoters are also in permanent uh, contact with students and with our teachers, of course, because the human being is constantly changing and the behavior is constantly changing and the educational tools are constantly changing. So the conclusion for me is that it would be not possible to pretend to give some feedback to someone if I myself am not really aware about the behavior of students. That's really interesting. I, I really like that actually, Alicia. I think it's you know it's an example of lead. It's a lead, it's a leading by example, really. <laughs> and um, the the reason why I'm doing the teacher education qualification that I mentioned uh, earlier is okay. for that reason as well, uh, because we're promoting it in the region, in Brazil in particular. And I really wanted to get first-hand experience of the qualification uh, myself. Plus, I don't have a, I didn't have a teaching quality, a teaching, a teacher educator qualification. So I thought it was um, a good opportunity. And it's been tough, but it's been very enjoyable. Uh, so I, I definitely um, understand your where you're coming at, and I think it's a really good approach to 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 having a business to actually understanding all of the details to it whatever that business is but in particular when it comes to teaching to actually be in the classroom you empathize much more with your the other teachers than you would otherwise wouldn't you yeah that's what i also think um and i was making that comment because sometimes when we have to go and visit um, potential clients, let's say, prospective mm -hmm. clients even. The thing is that sometimes people um, read my name behind the logo and then they ask, and why are you teaching if you are the owner? Mm -hmm. And thank God it's not so frequent, but in those opportunities where, where people ask me that question, I say, because I myself need to be able to, to understand the behavior of students mm -hmm. and then they get the point there is a, a wrong idea i think around the world that when you have a, a company or when you promote 
something, you should just work at the very beginning and then just forget about it and have other people working for you. When in fact, it is, as you were also mentioning, working with the group of people, working along with the group of people. Yes, definitely. So I think we've, um, we've got into something I definitely want to ask you more about, but I'm going to backtrack at the moment and just find out a little bit more about how you, um, how was it for you learning English? And I think you've already said that you kind of fell into teaching English by, uh, by accident. Uh, so am I right in thinking that you never really had the desire to be a teacher from an early age? You had more the desire to be in, involved in a business. Is that right? Kind of. <laughs> in fact, when I was in primary school or elementary school, I wanted to be in the medical area. My father used to work for that area too. So right. I was fascinated by my father and um, everything he did for me was amazing. So when I was a child, I, I thought I was going to be part of the medical area too. But then, you know, when we grow up and we are in high school, things change. We start thinking about the real things we like or we start um, working on the things we really like. And then in high school, I discovered that this about administration, managing was my stuff. So I said, okay, that is what I was, or what I am going to study. And as I told you, I was in the last year of studies and also casually I joined a company, an institute in fact, where they were uh, offering these conversational courses of English and that's the way I started in the teaching world. Mm, the good thing is that I think that my English level at that time was good enough even when I was really young, I was 18 years old, so um, I had that as an advantage, I had, I mean, the person who was the coordinator in that institute asked me, would you be able to take a TOEFL mock? And I said, yeah, why not? I took that mock, I passed it successfully, and they said, okay, yeah, you can join us. There's no problem. But once you are part of the company, you will have to take an international exam. And I said, okay, no problem. For me, it was like a new experience, like a new adventure. And I enjoyed it so much that, as I previously mentioned, I started thinking about becoming a teacher. I mm. mean, not just by heart, but also studying to become a teacher. Interesting. And I would love to know more about English language teaching and learning in Peru. I know you're very active or, uh, in the uh, in the English language teaching world there, and you play a role, as I mentioned before, in IETFL Peru, as well as being a consultant for English departments, a number of schools and language training institutes. Uh, could you speak a little bit about how English is, English language learning and teaching is in the country? Uh, what works well, what could be better, etc. in general? Sure. Um, basically, as in different countries, we need to, to consider that the private area 
is going to be completely different from the state or public area. And I normally make that clear because, for example, there are well-known bilingual schools here, and those students finish their high school studies with the B2, for example, or even the C1. In some cases, there's even one school where the students get the C2 certification. Okay? And I'm talking about examples of bilingual schools. And on the other hand, for example, we have in the public sector teachers that were evaluated teachers who were working for five years or a bit more even, and they were just able to, let's say, certify an A2B1 maybe level. And we're talking about teachers and students. So basically the gap is quite a wide one. Thank God in these last years, the Ministry of Education has been working hard and making people understand that English is not a luxurious course that people can take anymore. It is part of our everyday basis. It is important to get a job. It is important to also get scholarships even, and that's giving you opportunities to travel abroad, to continue studying, um, to continue growing professionally. So that is something that makes me really happy about um, the English language here in Peru. That in this past, I could say, uh, that started in year 2015 and even a bit earlier, 2013 approximately. So it's approximately 10 years when the ministry has been working really hard on making everyone understand that English is an important language. It is not as it used to be in the 80s. In the 80s, I was in elementary school, but it was like studying English. Okay, that's something additional that you could do in your life. That was just a plus. But nowadays, everyone is really aware of the importance of the language as to get opportunities to continue growing professionally, to study abroad by getting scholarships and so on. So that is something that definitely makes me feel really good about the situation of the language in the country because more and more people are definitely understanding the importance of the language. As I usually say to my students, you can travel to any part in the world. You could be in Russia, in Japan, in Greece, where their language is completely different from ours. I mean, even their alphabet is different. But you will always be able to find a sign in English. So you need to be able to read that sign in English, and then that's it. And they say that definitely English is an important language. So that is something that makes me feel really good about the situation. Yes, that's so important. And Especially really in the last years, to... as I was saying. Of course. It's the same in, in lots of parts of the region in other countries, I know. And you do still find teachers who teach English, but whose level of English is quite low. Um, but it is, as you say, changing. 
the importance of English definitely starting to become more and more apparent and being promoted by ministries of education, as you said in Peru, for example. Chris Fry in the chat is saying in Spain, they were called the Three Marias, religion, physical education, and English. No one ever failed them and had to repeat. So I think it, it sounds like Chris is saying that, you know, English is one of the three sort of important things that have, uh, subjects that has been recognized in Spain. And um, yeah, so that's really interesting. And um, Alicia, I know if we get into your special interests when it comes to English teaching, I know that you're particularly interested in increasing student motivation inside and outside of the classroom. Could you speak a little bit about why this is interesting to you in particular and what you perhaps suggest teachers can do to help increase motivation? That's quite easy from my viewpoint. <laughs> why? Mm. Because um, for many years, students thought that studying English was just about going to a certain language school or institute, opening the book there, repeating or practicing there in that class, and then just going back home and forgetting about, uh, forget about the class. In the case of schools, obviously it's different because it is a subject, right? And students have to study English because that's part of the subjects that are offered by the school. But I usually talk a bit more about language schools or institutes. Why? Because it's supposed that people go there voluntarily to learn the language. Um, something that I usually mention is that people don't have this um, training, let's say, on how to self-study. Since I was in elementary school, I remember that I liked studying. I didn't need my mom to be behind me, asking me or pushing me to do something, to do homework, to review my notes or anything, because I myself would do it voluntarily and happily even. But this is not the reality for many people. So the point is that we need to make students aware of the importance of this self-study time apart from the time they take in their classes. There are studies, even I have the documents and I sometimes show these documents to students, but there are studies that say that apart from the classes, no matter if the classes at the language school take yeah. one hour, one hour and a half or two hours, but apart from the classes, students need to review, practice their English for 30 minutes. And these studies show the results at a very positive level. Then, since people usually argue and say, I don't have 30 minutes because I am studying, taking part of my lifetime and I also have children and I also have to work and so on. Okay, there was another study showing that 
the minimum that you could study or that you should study by yourself is 10 minutes daily. 10 minutes daily. Anyway, people complain and said, some people, of course, no, it's not possible. I don't have time at all. I just have enough time for taking this class. Yeah. And the most recent study shows that a five-minute revision of your notes or watching a video for five minutes or listening to a podcast for five minutes, but daily, completely apart from the time of your classes, five minutes are going to make a difference in the results of the, let's say, the language you produce. So that is something that I try to say to students. Okay, if you are visiting Facebook or TikTok or any other app for 15 or 20 minutes, okay, just take five minutes from those social networks and invest that time in this podcast or in reading this very short article or in reviewing the notes of the class that we were working on. And then the students tell me, you were right, yes. I've been reading five minutes on a daily basis and I feel that I remember things more uh, easy than before and I feel that uh, I am more confident when I need to speak something. I am not translating things in my head. I am just throwing the words out of my mouth, as they say. Um, and well, basically, that is what I try to, to make them understand that motivation should come from an inner side because they are the ones who want to improve their skills. That is in the case of people who's learning the language because we also have a group of people who already speak the language at a B1 or B2 level, but they want to improve their pronunciation, intonation, fluency, and some other things. So in that case, then the suggestions would be quite different. But on a general view, I usually ask students to please consider five times of your life. Even if you're driving your car, maybe you can just listen to the postcard. You are being exposed to the sounds of the language and that will help you. Eventually, the thing is that they, as a students, will be producing the language. That is what we want them to do. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. I think it's, it's definitely true, isn't it? It's what students do between lessons that can make a massive difference to how they, uh, they improve and they progress. And Chris, again, in the chat is saying his advice was to schedule exactly uh, for the students to schedule exactly when they'll be working on English out of class and make sure that anyone who is living with the students uh, know and respect that as well. So I think that idea of doing just five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, if you can do it, fitting it into your day, five and 10 minutes will definitely be something that everyone can find. It's, uh, I know everybody's busy, but, but you can find that, as you said. Um, and I think perhaps that's why uh, language learning apps such as Duolingo and, and others of a similar type have become quite popular because people can use them when they're waiting in queues, etc. 
etc. And and the idea of a podcast, I think, you suggesting a podcast in English for students to listen to is a very good idea. Because, you know, people can listen to podcasts when they're driving or when they're cooking. I often listen when I'm cooking, for example. So really good advice. Yeah. In fact, that's something that they themselves are able to notice. Five minutes a day are going to make a difference in the English that they are able to use, to listen to, to understand. Because basically, as we as teachers know, the idea of, the, of, of people studying the language is not to become grammar experts or just passing international examinations. The idea when someone registers for an English course is basically to be able to communicate with mm. people in English along the world. And now I would like to mention this classic question <laughs> that is, teacher, which one is better, the British English or the American English? <laughs> and then I, I usually answer, okay, which Spanish is better? The Spanish here in Peru, the Spanish in Spain, the Spanish in Argentina. And they say, well, officially, neither one nor the other is better. It's just that they are different. That is exactly the same thing that happens in English. And then I also make them really aware of this. Um, some time ago, there was this uh, trend. Even many YouTubers, many famous YouTubers were... We're talking about this, uh, saying that people should try to imitate native accents, no matter if American, British, Australian, or whichever the accent it was, but try to imitate that. There was quite a controversy. I think it was about five years ago, this one, because um, someone, a famous YouTuber, said that if people were not able to produce and imitate native sounds, they should not be teaching. And then many people, imagine David Crystal, another famous YouTuber, uh, well, it was not just one, it was like three or four famous YouTubers who teach English through their channels, um, even Jeremy Harmer, and many people were given their opinions about the topic and it was thanks to these uh, opinions that people got to understand that it is not about imitating any type of accent. The thing is just about communicating, being able to communicate. I normally say this and I say, okay, if you have the chance, because that, that means or that involves having a certain type of skills from people. If you have the chance to produce this or that sound, great for you you're going to sound more natural probably you're going to understand people easily okay but it is not mandatory for you to sound in this or another way mm -hmm. and that is proof of people for example holding uh, c2 levels my mother tongue is spanish for example and sometimes i try to switch and say something like Okay, my dears, today we're going to talk about this very important topic and I am sure that you will understand. And people look at me and I say, okay, my vocabulary, my accuracy, the structure of my speech was perfect. 
What is different? Now means you sound like speaking in Spanish. Okay, but you understood. So the final ending reason of, of learning a language is communicating. So that is the most important point. And I usually try to, to um, demonstrate it with that example because sometimes some students get a bit shy or they get a bit down when they say, oh, means I cannot pronounce this or that word in a certain way. I will never sound like this or that teacher. You don't need to sound like anyone. You just need to be able to pronounce correctly. Okay, pronunciation is one thing. Accent is mm. not the real thing. And then they are getting to understand that one more time, the real essence of learning the language is communicating. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I completely agree. It, it's something I find fascinating, actually, because I think it's really not about adopting an accent. And I feel very strongly about that when you're speaking another language, mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people who they don't adopt another accent, whatever that accent is, whatever language they're speaking, because mm -hmm how you sound your accent is very much related to your identity so i have uh i have my english accent if you like is from the uk but even within the uk you you were talking about uk and us um varieties of english and there are a lot more varieties of course australian but also you know english isn't owned by any of the countries where it's spoken as a native language as well so it's there are lots of rich varieties all over the world but um even within the uk my accent is still very much a uk northern english accent and it still is detectable as that and i don't think that should change even if I'm speaking another language because that is part of my identity. It's who I am. Mm -hmm. And so when I speak Spanish, I don't speak or try, I don't even try to speak with a particular Spanish sounding accent. The idea is that if I can try and make myself understandable, communicative, for example, as you say, if I'm pronouncing the words so they can be understood that's enough for me i don't mind that i have an english accent because i don't i'm not my objective isn't isn't for anyone to think that i might be mexican or spanish or you know i think that's very strange i do understand that that being able to speak another language with a local accent is actually very attractive so and a lot of people can be fooled when they hear someone speaking with a very good accent mm. that the person understands more than they can as well. So as an example, my wife, whenever she speaks another language, she's very good at adopting the language accent. So she can speak, speak French, for example, with a wonderful French accent, but she doesn't know much French. So if she can, if when she says the few words that she knows in French, or she, she knows more than a few words, but when she speaks a little bit of French, if uh, people assume that she knows a lot more than 
than she actually does. And they speak, they they reply to her in fluent French, and then she has to admit that she doesn't speak French. <laughs> it's quite funny. Yeah, of course. That is something that I mentioned because, as I said, sometimes people get a bit frustrated when they say, oh, mm. I cannot sound like this or like that. And I just uh, try to focus on, on them being able to follow a conversation to continue with a certain topic, to continue talking about a certain topic. And then they obviously get more confidence. Ah, yes, I could understand. Oh, yeah, I can talk about this or that topic that is not something um, that I usually talk about. So that's the idea of speaking a language or learning in this case a language. Yes, but I do understand that for different students, there are different reasons for 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 learning the language and different goals. Um, you know, I think my goal when I learned Spanish was to be able to communicate, to understand in typical conversational settings, to be able to write it um, reasonably well and to be able to speak it enough to be able to um to get by when living in a particular country. Uh, first that was Spain, then it was Uruguay, and now it's Mexico. And I know I could spend more time trying to get better at Spanish. I do have errors, and my pronunciation could be much better than it is. But it's almost, it's got to the point where I think, well, I know enough to get by. And that's quite interesting i think every student has that kind of goal uh their own goal so i understand that if some students may want to actually adopt particular accents in particular if if a student is an actor for example they may want to be learning a language to be able to sound like um, someone from a particular country when they speak or adopt different accents as well as being able to communicate. So it's all very, it's, it's fascinating. But listen, Alicia, I think I'm getting sidetracked here, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine, but I do want to talk to you about this idea of being a teacherpreneur, because I find it fascinating. Mm -hmm. So we've already talked about you um, studying business and then becoming a teacher almost by accident, and then when was it that you decided that you could combine the two, your interest and in studies in business with your interest and work as an English teacher? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm always happy when I tell this short story about how, how I started in the teaching world. Mm -hmm. Because even when it was accidentally, let's say, it made me um, feel so confident and so well that I decided to study education and how to be able to teach people mm -hmm. another language. But the point is that after some years of having been a teacher, uh, I was part of a certain institute and I was... I was, I was in my late 20s, 27, mm -hmm. 28 approximately. And the thing is that many students that reach the intermediate level, especially, had trouble with timing in terms of 
getting to classes on time. Mm -hmm. What was the reason? Okay, they came from work. You know that office time is supposed to finish at 5, 5.30, 6, depending on the case, but people don't usually leave the office at that program time. So the point is that many of the students were frequently arriving late and they always told me the same. I'm sorry, you know, the traffic, I had a lot of work, I couldn't make it earlier, so on. Apart from that, or I mean, because of that, in some cases, they had to repeat the course. If they had a certain number of absences or lateness, they have to. That is, let's say, what some institutes um, present as, as, as their rules. You have to follow this ones, otherwise you need to repeat the course. And in my idea, it was quite unfair because it was because of work, it was for a certain reason that I could be able to understand. <laughs> and in that moment, I remembered that one of the students mentioned <laughs> as a crazy idea, it would be great if we had the classes in our office. We wouldn't need to take any extra time coming to the institute and the teachers would go there and we would be having our cup of coffee, listening to the class, and we wouldn't be so stressed. You know, traffic makes people get stressed. Yeah. And yeah. then it said, I mean, the idea came to my mind. Why not starting a business where teachers would go to different companies and mm -hmm. teach the classes, teach the lessons, and offer some other advantages that are not possible to be offered by language schools because they have a, a, a different view about the, the process of studying. And that was the way I decided to combine the two things. So I said, okay, now I am already a manager, business manager, so I know about how to create businesses or a company. Mm -hmm. And I was already studying education, so I said, it is like the perfect match. I myself can create a company and start working on the logo and start working on the courses and start working on the levels that we will offer, the type of classes we will offer to students. And that is the way the, the company started. Mm, the idea about becoming a teacherpreneur, according to different definitions that you may find on Google, <laughs> especially, focus a bit more on, on this group of people, teachers, who are able not to just teach in a school classroom, in an institute classroom, in a university or, or college classroom, but also are able to create something new, create new courses, create what is on demand from people. Yeah. So in that case, that was the starting point to start with buses, basically, and to pay a lot more attention 
to what people really need in order to learn English in this case. Okay, interesting. And was it difficult to begin with? Did you have, um, did you struggle to get things off the ground or was it quite easy? Did you find that you knew enough about the business of English teaching to be able to set up um, quite easily? I was very lucky, in fact, because as I said, um, the, the student who mentioned this crazy idea or who mentioned this as a crazy idea in the middle of a class mm -hmm. mentioned the same thing in his office. And by then, I was already creating the company. I was creating everything with, um, well, you know, everything you need, all the documents, and you need to work with the accountant and the lawyer to get things legally started. And the student told me, Miss, I think in my company, we would be happy if you could bring the classes to us. <laughs> so it was, as I say, um, I was very lucky, I think. I was already creating everything, setting everything in the legal part. And then the student came to me and asked me to go and visit the manager, the, the human resources manager was in that company. I went, we had an interview. I explained what I was able to offer. And he told me, oh, okay, that sounds really nice. And in fact, we wouldn't just need classes because for example, I can speak the language already, but I want to continue practicing. So I will develop, I don't know, more vocabulary and that was the very first company that we had. And mm. the first contract we got was with a shipping company. It was a shipping company. Mm -hmm. And we started with three group courses and two one-to-one -one courses in the same company. Wow. So, so that it was, was like the perfect timing for everything. A great start. And did you do all the classes or did you have to go out and actually recruit other teachers straight away? At the very beginning, to be honest, it was not, I mean, I didn't participate that much because I was working for an institute, for a language okay. institute here. So the only thing I was in charge of was the administrative part, let's say. Mm -hmm. Invoices, documents, emails, maybe some visits or supervisions. What I did, um, and that is another reason that I, I also uh, consider I, I am lucky, uh, for is counting on, on colleagues that had already worked with me mm -hmm. um, because I know how they speak the language, how dynamic they are in a class, and it is, in my opinion, easier for me to suggest them to do things. And on the other hand, it is also for them to tell me or suggest me about some something to be done, maybe collaborating with new ideas, because we are friends. <laughs> so mm -hmm. back in those days, I had less classes. 
I maybe had just one class because I was working at principally at an institute. Um, but I had the pleasure to count on colleagues that had already worked with me or were in that moment working with me. And, um, well, people at, in that company were, were happy, so I was also happy with my, with my colleagues. Right. Okay, that sounds good. And um, what, what advice do you think you would give to teachers who want to follow in your footsteps, who would like to do something similar to what you did and set up their own business teaching others? Hello? Sorry, I, I couldn't hear you well. Could you repeat that? Sure. What, what advice would you give to others who would like to follow in your footsteps? and to do something similar to to set up a business teaching others? Oh, first of all, to be completely prepared to highs and lows. <laughs> that is the very first thing that mm -hmm. you need to be prepared for. It is not everything um, with a happy ending or it's not always going to be that nice. There have been also tough times, <laughs> for example, the most recent ones were pandemic days where everything yeah. had to change. Um, for me, it's basically a, a, quite a miraculous situation and it is something amazing um, because next May we'll be celebrating the 18 years of the company and I oh. myself cannot believe that we survived the pandemic. <laughs> we could survive the pandemic. Um, so the very first thing that I usually mention to people is, okay, do not think that you are just going to start a business and then you're going to get such an income. You're going to be, I don't know, living the lifestyle of your dreams. No, it's not like that. You need to be prepared to highs and lows. It's like a roller coaster. Number mm. two, it is not just a business because... I have to use the, the word business or company because that is what BASIS is in my case. Mm -hmm. Since I was already a business manager, for me it was easier uh, because I already knew how to create a company. And then you just pay the taxes, follow this or that, and it's okay. But in the case of creating a, an institute, there are some other uh, documents and permissions need to get as to be, um, let's say, working hand in hand with the Ministry of Education. And the difference was not that much in that time because when we started, we principally focused on corporate courses. And as you must mm -hmm. imagine, people in companies have the objective of speaking better develop influency, improving their pronunciation, probably. They don't need a certificate um, with, uh, I don't know, with any name or, or mentioning by the Ministry of Education. They need the language because the headquarters are in Canada, in Britain, or in Australia. And when managers come, they need to communicate or even mm -hmm. with clients. So for me at the beginning was not a problem that part, but then you have to definitely study that situation. Would you prefer to have a company or an institute or a language school? In that case, 
documentation that you will need is going to be different. Then, something else. Um, my point about in the previous one is that when people say business, they only think about, okay, business is making money and that's it. Mm-hmm. However, I myself normally clear people with the idea of, okay, Basis is a company, and so you would say it's a business. However, we are in the educational sector. And my idea, my goal, my mission, my vision involves the educational purpose. So in our case, for example, we are even part of our slogan says that you are going to really learn the language in the most natural way you can. The thing is that as I say to some colleagues that are interested in, in, in becoming teacherpreneurs too, okay, it's going to be a business for you because you think making it is easier, but don't just focus on the income. You have to focus on the quality of the service that you are going to offer to people. And having that, I mean, a, the service of good quality that you are able to offer is going to... Uh, help you to continue in the market, let's say, to continue surviving. If you don't offer um, good lessons, good classes, if people is not happy with you, if people realize that you are just teaching by translation, for example, that is something that some people still do, um, then probably they are going to stop studying in your company or institution and go to another one that offers something that for them seems to be better. So that is, I I would say those are the three most important things. Number one, be prepared. Not everything is like the best day of your life. You're going to have highs and lows. Once you are prepared, okay, focus on company or institute. Depending on the countries, probably things are going to be different. So here in Peru, it is, if it is institute, the Ministry of Education, if it is a company, well, SUNAP is a company where we have to pay the taxes too. And um, number three, do not forget. Number three is not because it is least important. It is because it wraps up the whole idea. But do mm-hmm. not forget that even if it is a business, it is in the educational area. And in my personal opinion, the purpose of education is not possible to be just getting profits or such an income. It is to offer a service with the best quality you can to the final user. Right. Of course. Yes. Very good advice. And also, I I would imagine... It, you didn't need it because you came from a business background and and studies and combined them with um, English teaching. But if an English teacher doesn't have a background in business, then they should perhaps get familiar with that and perhaps take a course or study it. Is that something you'd recommend? Yes, definitely. They will need that type of information. As I uh, said, for me, when this happened, when this idea, project, and situation came to my life, it was 
the perfect time and it was the perfect match. Okay, business management, teaching, perfect match. But as you just mentioned, some people who have been for a while in the teaching world do not necessarily have the idea about the administrative part. So definitely they need to learn about it or they need to, to get the advisory service by a company or by a professional who's able to guide them on how and what to do. Because as I said, one way or another, you are going to pay the taxes. Mm -hmm. One way or another, for sure. So, um, for example, recently, um, and as you can imagine, after this crazy pandemic days, many people created small businesses. They are entrepreneurships. Basically, they were entrepreneurs. And I'm not just talking about languages now. I am talking about uh, entrepreneurships in uh, the food industry, for example, cookies and chocolates and some things that were homemade. But this year, Sunat, that is the name of the company that collects the taxes here in Peru, said, okay, if you are already getting an income, you should also pay taxes. And then people got in shock because they said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? Because for those people, uh, let's say a business was something like just creating a, an account on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok that is more popular nowadays, offering something. And then if people contact you and buy the product or service that you're offering, then it is already a business, an informal one, but a kind of business. So, as I insist, Sunat this year said, okay, if they are getting an income, they should also pay a certain amount of taxes. So people who didn't count on an accountant, for example, needed the support of one of those professionals because now everyone needs to contribute to pay the taxes of the country. So these are the things that we need to know uh, and especially when people is not familiar with the administrative issues, I, I, I strongly recommend them to, okay, go with this lawyer, talk with him about uh, starting this company. You have to register the name, the logo, if it's possible also, and also with the accountant in terms of the taxes that we'll need to pay and so on. But you need to get some advice on that area too. It's not just about okay, I know about the language, I know about these materials or books, for example, or platforms maybe, and then I offer my service, they pay me and that's it. No, we, if it is going to be something obviously legally uh, built, you need to, to count on a lawyer and also an accountant. Of course, very good advice. Thank you, Alicia. Um, so I'm going to ask if there's anybody out there who would like to call in. I know there are a number of people actually in the um, in the studio listening in uh, at the moment. And if any of you would like to call in to comment upon what Alicia has been talking about or to ask any questions, then please let, let me know in the chat first and then I can bring you in as a speaker.
otherwise we can continue a little bit, Alicia. So, mm -hmm. um, what's do you have any projects on the go at the moment, or any interests educational wise that we haven't already talked about that you'd like to mention? Mm, well, in fact, the projects are about the the celebrations that we have already started now in September mm -hmm. towards reaching the 18 years ah, the following okay. May. So that involves, for example, having some um, extra conversation sessions on weekends for students who are currently studying. I mean, students who are currently studying in the B1 level, they will be able to join conversation sessions, we don't say classes, conversation sessions on Saturdays. Okay, that is something that we are trying to offer them. Because students always want to practice their speaking skills. Um, so the projects are basically about um, the celebration of our 18 years. Now, something else that is going to happen is this about the, since it's the 18, I mean, um, numbers are very important in my life. And I mm -hmm. think that becoming 18, for example, here in Peru, means that you become an official citizen. <laughs> mm -hmm. Here in Peru, it is when we are 18. So I said, okay, the company officially becomes a Peruvian citizen. So let's celebrate it in the best way it's possible. Um, this year, we are planning to uh, host the second Edu Fest. <laughs> That is such, I saw my puppy just appeared. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's okay. yeah, he also wanted to appear on the show. But, um, well, I was saying, in 2020, we organized the first EduFest that was online. It was free of charge because of um, pandemic days, we just wanted people to feel a bit better. And it was very nice. We counted on international speakers. The topics were interesting because they were based on what teachers required. So it was very, very nice and emotional even. I think 2020 was a very emotional year for many people too, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. due to the circumstances along the world. And so we were planning to have it every year, but we say, no. Let's not make it every year. Let's just focus on special dates. And well, this following year, there it is coming, the second EduFest. We're planning to make it a bit bigger, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the possibility to, to be online so more people can join, uh, can join us, counting on international speakers too. And well, basically, we're already working on that. And about um, something in general, um, something in general that we are working on these days is, well, now that we are um, having as part of the classes, is that even when there is a, a, a tutor, let's say, for a certain class, at some point in the course, a native speaker we count on an American lady, two British ladies, and um, one, one person who comes from the Netherlands. But another trainer interviews the students. So what happens is that, okay, let's imagine that this month we were talking and learning and studying about 
uh, a basic level, daily routines. So students had their lessons all along the cycle. And then I, of course, if it is my class, I, if it is another teacher's class, they let students know that on the following class, they will be interviewed by another where the person comes from. We just say another trainer is visiting our class and they are going to ask you different questions. It's going to be an interview. Just feel relaxed, feel free to answer with your personal information. There's just a chatting time. Mm -hmm. And when they realize that the trainers are native speakers, they say, oh, will he or she understand me? And then they realize that they are also able to understand them. And say, hey, Miss, I could understand all of the questions. And she or he could understand me too. Oh, yes, I did well. And that very simple thing that we started working on this year uh, has made students feel much more confident about their usage of the language. So that is something that I would also uh, recommend people not only counting on, on, on native people, but on different uh, colleagues to visit their yeah. classes as to motivate their students in terms of they themselves feeling that they are understood by someone else who is not the main teacher. Mm -hmm. And they also understand that other person. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea to, to have someone who speaks English um, mm -hmm. fluently come into the classroom and give a real sort of reason for the students to actually speak English. Uh, that's the main reason, isn't it? And, it? and as I said, it doesn't it doesn't matter if the person's a native speaker or not. If they're a mm -hmm. fluent speaker of English and mm -hmm. they're interesting uh, for them to come into the classroom and actually ask students questions and talk about what they do, etc. To have visitors in the classroom is always a good idea. It doesn't even have to be, you're talking about someone who can actually come in physically to the classroom, is that right? Yeah. Because um, it could be someone who comes in via the internet, couldn't it, as well? Exactly. Inviting someone just to come in as a guest, however they do it, is worthwhile, mm -hmm. I think. To be honest, these days we're having more online classes than presential ones. Oh, really? The people who, yeah. The people who prefer to continue with presential classes were, for example, some managers that even when their schedules are <laughs> definitely crazy, um, they prefer the human contact. At mm. least this is what the most of them report. No, I want to count on a teacher that comes here so I can see him or her and I can see his or her gestures. So, okay, yeah. this is what they ask for. We offer what they are requiring. <laughs> so there's no problem. But the most of people, however, prefer to continue studying online because, as it happens in different parts of the world, traffic is such a problem. So arriving on time to a certain class would be quite difficult. So people prefer to study online. I mean, they prefer to finish work, arrive home, have a cup of coffee or something, put on their pajamas, sometimes even, and that's perfectly allowed. And sit in front of their screen and start chatting with people yeah. in a more comfortable basis. So for me, it has been one of the advantages. And as my grandmother used to say, even from the darkest moments or situations in life, we need to always get and try to 
grab the positive part. So if we had yeah. to say something positive about 2020 as the as the pandemic year or COVID year, it is this about the the possible um, the many possible opportunities that it gives us in terms of education because through online classes it is possible to to study from everywhere yes of course that was so do you think how what percentage of your the numbers of classes that you do changed um so how is it different pre-pandemic and post-pandemic how many classes are you or how what percentage of the classes that you do are online now uh in terms of the the number of groups of the classes or yeah or yeah. just a general percentage maybe i don't know was it something like 10 percent of classes before the pandemic were online and now it's 30 percent or or is it how is ah it? yeah uh-huh exactly like that before oh, really? the pandemic before the pandemic it was just give me a second i have my drive over here before the pandemic, before the pandemic, we used to have just about 18% of classes. And basically, they, ironically, yeah, ironically, the classes that were online uh, by Zoom, by the way, because someone mm -hmm. in here in the chat is asking which platform we That's use. Right. We prefer to Hard use to Zoom. Uh, some people here in Peru, the most popular are Zoom, Meet, and then they have some other platforms like Blackboard. Or even mm -hmm. the one that is using by Microsoft, the Teams, but we prefer to use Zoom. Mm -hmm. So, before the pandemic, managers, because of their schedule, preferred to have classes online because of their business trips and well, this type of situations. It was about eighteen percent. After pandemic times, it is completely the opposite. We have like the eighty percent of classes online. Oh wow! And the twenty, just the twenty percent on presential basis. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, because I've heard a lot, a lot of, in a lot of cases, people because they'd spent so much time online. Um, mm -hmm. Once the pandemic finished, what mm -hmm. they wanted to do was actually have hu real human contact. But it sounds like, um, in your situation, at least in Peru that people suddenly realized just how the benefits of studying online um, outweigh the, the, the negatives and they've continued with their classes online then in your mm -hmm. situation. That's interesting. Yes. What we do, uh, actually, what we do is that um, since the human contact is always important and, for example, for the people who are studying pronunciation courses it is really necessary to be able and and see and, and experience this about opening your mouth and the gestures and, and everything that involves this about pronouncing words phonetics and so on mm -hmm. um what we do is to to have some type of mixed courses that are a certain percentage of the lessons online and there is a certain percentage of the lessons on a presidential basis Ah, okay, so it's a blended course then you're offering. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that also works well, especially in certain type of courses, as I was saying. We practice, for example, there is a pronunciation course 
And in the first part, we were working a bit more on some reading articles and, um, well, some information that they were able to see on the screen. But when it came the moment of the practice part, it was the presential lesson. So it was very nice and fun and entertaining and, of course, rewarding for us to see everyone there in the classroom. Um, for example, sometimes we use videos from... from um, Adrian Underhill, you, you know mm -hmm. how he works. So we try yeah. to do the same. We show his videos and say, okay, it's produced. Hey, oh, and, and students really have a great time working on that. So that's the idea, basically. Since we're talking about uh, online education these days, something that I usually tell my colleagues is, don't you forget that in the end, it is people who want to study and learn a language. If they want to learn the language, there must be a reason. They want to study abroad, they need to take an international examination, or they need to communicate, or they need to... Well, whichever the reason is, they need the language for a certain purpose. So the thing is that our job is to try to make those moments of learning the most enjoyable we can because you perfectly know that whenever people is bored they don't engage they don't get involved in anything so you could be topic you could be talking about the most interesting topic in the world and if people is not feeling uh, anything special is bored as i just mentioned uh, they are not going to going to click with the class, with the lesson, or with anything, in fact. So yeah. I, I, I clearly have this idea in my mind about even when it's online. Why? Mm -hmm. Because some people try to just, or I mean, some people think that teaching online is exactly the same that you do in a classroom on a presential basis, mm. and you just sit down in front of a screen and do the same. And it is not possible. I think we should be a bit more active and more smiley and our voice should change at the necessary moments. Let's say we, we need to engage them with our voice too and we need to engage them with different visual help that we can count on and so on. That's the idea of, of us as teachers. <laughs> trying to, to help people learn the language. Yes, no, it's so important, isn't it? And I completely agree. I think for it to be effective, online learning needs to adapt and mm -hmm. take advantage of the unique situation of actually um, the aspects of being in a different place, being in different places and and having uh, screens to share things with and having access to the internet, um, which, you know, in the classroom, you might don't necessarily have, but also you have different things. So use space in a different way, don't you? Mm -hmm. There's a question here that Chris Fry mm -hmm. dropped in the comments that I would like to, to answer. He, he said... Have you found the voice of an English speaker of the same sex and age that you would really like to sound like 
when or if you have tried to imitate it. I, I think it is not a direct question to me, but I think he was trying to, to say that. I think, give me a second. Yeah. I mean, the pronunciation. He this, yeah, he dropped this question when we were talking about things that we can uh, do with our students. And yeah, yeah. in fact, this, this type of game or activity is a really fun one. Um, mm -hmm. And it also, I don't know what you think or what my colleagues around the world think, but one of the issues that make people struggling about, well, we usually say produce, <laughs> speak more, is mm -hmm. that sometimes, many times, they feel ashamed or they feel insecure about what they are going to say. Um, however, with this type of activity, let's say, okay, today we're going to imitate, let's imagine. Pedro is going to imitate the teacher, so he's supposed to be imitating me. Mm. I am going to imitate Maria. Okay, and everyone is imitating someone else's way of speaking or gestures right. and they have lots of fun and they even change their voices like, okay today we are good and they have lots of fun so this idea chris mentioned is definitely a good one to use in class okay so yeah. turn turn pronunciation yeah. into a game and exactly ask the students to adopt different accents Not a, only pronunciation, a way of playing yeah expressions even because for example mm. you know some people use different types of words it's like hey i want a glass of water i would really appreciate if you could get, uh, i don't know <laughs> offer me a glass of and they have lots of fun with this type of activities yeah that's a very good idea chris has another question which is related to online teaching which i'd like to ask your opinion about does it help if the teacher is standing up in front of the camera chris can't. depends <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I am talking a lot about pandemic days because that is definitely a, making a, a before and after the educational industry. Mm -hmm. I think that with all the, the situation and the struggle it caused around the world, it was like a like that like the type of shape that maybe uh, made us understand the purpose of teaching mm -hmm. and I mentioned this because there was a teacher he was an American teacher I don't remember his name but he became very popular on TikTok because his wife recorded him and then this became a TikTok there was this guy probably in his late 20s i think and this man was standing in front of his laptop and you could see different small faces not clearly because basically the wife was uh recording him and mm -hmm. he was standing in front of his laptop he was a kindergarten teacher i don't know if you or my other colleagues have heard this song that's very popular on youtube that is, um, the channel is called The Singing Walrus. And I assure you will find lovely songs for your kindergartners and kiddos. And this song goes, I mean, the chorus goes like, na, 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 I'm 
so happy. And then along the song, <laughs> they have to perform different actions. as say, clap, clap, clap your hands, stomp. And you could see this man standing in front of the laptop, performing each one of the actions, touch the floor. I mean, it was very fun because the wife was the one who was recording him. And then mm -hmm. this became a very popular TikTok that was where I met him. And uh, I contacted this guy and I congratulated him because basically to this question that says if it is important for us to be standing in front of the laptop, I would say it depends. This was a class for very young learners. So if you are always standing with very young learners, even on a real presential classroom, that is not going to work. <laughs> so this teacher had that idea about dancing in front of his laptop, in front of the yeah. camera, and students were also able to do it. Yeah. It also That's happens a... to us in our classes, yes. When you model something, children just follow you. You cannot of ask course. them to do if you yourself are not able to perform at least the first action that they are going to do. In the case of adults, it is a bit diff different. Um, but depending on the activity you are working on, it may be nice if at some point of the lesson, you and also the students are maybe standing up for stretching their arms and legs. Depends on, on, on what the, the class moment is about. Yeah, so I definitely agree with you. I think when you, if you're teaching young learners online or face-to-face, -face, you need to be a lot more active than perhaps... And it's expected, isn't it? And and it will also get their attention more. Mm. So listen, Alicia, I'm going to draw things to a close now um, mm -hmm. because we've been speaking for about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd just like to thank you very, very much to join me. It's been great to catch up and to hear about all the things you're doing. And thanks very much for sharing all the advice uh, you have done today. Thank you for having invited me to join the show. And just for finishing, there's this comment uh, that I don't know if it's Fatima or Fatima. Fatima, probably. Uh, I think Fatima says, sometimes uh, feels a bit of shame, especially among native speakers. Just forget about that natives or non-natives. Just try to practice in front of your mirror. Talk to yourself sometimes, and that will yeah. help you develop some more fluency. For example, something as simple as talking about your day before going to bed you say or talk to yourself okay today i woke up at seven i had breakfast i took a shower and eventually you will be speaking in a more natural way among people but forget about this about speaking in front of natives or non-natives you just speak then you will be uh, producing the language in a more natural way one more time, thanks so much, dear Graham, for having invited me to the show. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to listen to your voice again. And, well, hope to meet soon. Definitely. Likewise, Alicia, thank you very much for joining me. And um, I'll have to come back to Peru. Um, I mm. love the country and I haven't seen hardly, I've seen hardly any of it. So I would definitely like to explore more. And uh, I'll look you up if I'm back in Lima sometime soon. Okay. Mm -hmm. so. Of course, of course. It will be great to have that uh, meeting or reunion <laughs> with <laughs> all these lovely people that I have had the pleasure to meet 
thanks to this uh, educational field. Okay, so thank you, um, Alicia, Isabel, Lara Espinosa, and thank you to all of you who joined in live, in particular Fatima and Chris, for your questions. That's mm -hmm. it for me. There are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on a manner of interest on all manner of interesting topics. So please listen in live or to the recordings. I won't be here next Saturday because I'm travelling, but please join me the week after at the same time. Bye for now. Bye bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.